welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. On this show, we break down some of the most controversial, complex, and even polarizing topics facing our society. We use honest, good faith analysis, backed by research, to form our conclusions. We promise to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving you our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human, we have blind spots and personal biases, and they will show up sometimes. But the goal of this show isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics and present the most truthful information available so that we can discuss and address these issues in a thoughtful and beneficial way. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way people have hard conversations. And we think we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable, maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. This week, we are diving into the complexities of the world's most recognized symbol of existential threat, the doomsday clock. That's right, the metaphorical clock that slowly marks our advancement towards certain doom due to humanity's constant thirst for better and more efficient methods to completely wipe ourselves out. (laughs) Okay, that may be a little melodramatic, but it is true. The doomsday clock is a symbolic representation of how close we are to a global catastrophe, and it's updated annually by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists to account for the ever-changing environment in the world that we all live in, probably more tenuously than we'd care to admit. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the history of the doomsday clock, some key moments in its history, and the reasoning behind the latest update, and then what that means for the future. Oh, Right, in case you weren't paying attention, this is actually relevant. Last month, the clock was set to read 90 seconds to midnight, with midnight being the destruction of the planet. This is the closest that it's ever been to midnight, and there are some pretty good reasons behind it. But don't worry. It's probably not the last podcast you'll ever listen to. We have literally tens of seconds left before the apocalypse. So let's get to it. Okay, so as we hinted at in the intro, the doomsday clock is a symbolic representation of how close humanity is to, again, global catastrophe. It is meant to quickly and broadly inform the general population about how close we all are to destroying the world with the technology that we've created. Literally. The doomsday clock comes from the minds of the people who would know about those things, It was created in 1947 by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, a nonprofit organization founded by former Manhattan Project scientists who had helped develop the first atomic bombs. I forgot to write this part in because I only read about it at the very end of my research, which is crazy because to me it should be like at the beginning. Among those scientists, Albert Einstein, (laughs) you know, just some guy. Um, So... Bulletin co-editor Hyman Goldsmith, he had asked his artist um, friend 
Martel Langsdorf uh, to come up with a design for the June 1947 edition of the Bulletin. Incidentally, this was the first time that the Bulletin was actually a magazine and not a newspaper. Oh. So the, the June 1947 edition of the Bulletin magazine. Um, and Martel was married to physicist Alexander Langsdorf, who had worked on the Manhattan Project while at the University of Chicago. As such, she was witness to many urgent, passionate debates about the consequences of the atomic bomb. And the scientist public or the scientist's responsibility to the public and then what they felt they should do. And that urgency is what inspired the symbol of the clock, implying that we don't have that much time remaining to get atomic weapons under control. You see, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists itself was founded in 1945 as a reaction to the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was founded by a group of scientists and engineers who had actually worked on the Manhattan Project during World War II and who saw an immediate need for public reckoning in the aftermath of the bombings. They were deeply concerned about the dangers posed by nuclear weapons and wanted to use their scientific expertise to inform the public and policymakers about the risks and consequences of this new technology. These scientists felt that the atomic bomb was only one of many threats that modern science would introduce to humanity. And so from the perspective of the bulletin, they were correct. <laughs> they perceived not just atomic bombs as an ex existential threat, but also greenhouse gases, cyber attacks, misuse of genetic engineering and artificial intelligence, which, I mean, when I think about it, I have a hard time disputing all of those things. In, its, in the early days, the, um, the bulletin editor, Eugene Rabinowich, um, he decided whether or not the hands on the clock should be moved. Rabinowich was a scientist and disarmament leader, and as such, he was in constant communication with scientists and experts from all over the world. And he based uh, his, his decision um, to determine where the clock's hand should be set on his discussions with his fellow scientists. Um, he would then explain his reasoning in the pages of the bulletin. So when Rabinowitch passed away in 1973, the responsibility of resetting the clock was passed on to the bulletin's science and security board. Much like the original scientists behind the clock's development, the board consists of scientists and experts who have a deep understanding of nuclear technology and climate science. Um, they're the kind of people who can honestly put advised governments and international agencies about my area of expertise on their resume. They meet twice a year to discuss world events and adjust the clock as needed. They also consult with the bulletin's board of sponsors, who, which, excuse me, the board contains some serious talent in and of itself, as in there are 13 Nobel laureates on the board of sponsors. Yeah, it, it goes without saying, but we're going to stress it. The Science and Security Board brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise to the table. So you can probably rest assured that they have helped to ensure that the Doomsday Clock remains an accurate representation of the world's proximity to catastrophe, which, come to think of it, isn't really a great thing that we would want to rest assured about. Uh, yeah. But if you can't trust your doomsday prophets, then who can you trust? <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but many don't actually trust the board. 
Um, Given the mission behind their founding, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists naturally has a long history of advocacy and activism, and it has been at the forefront of efforts to reduce the dangers posed by nuclear weapons and other existential threats. Equally as naturally, because of this advocacy and activism, the Bulletin and the Doomsday Clock Period, they periodically come under fire for being a political tool for, for Democrats or Republicans, depending on who is in power and being criticized for what. However, keeping the human species, you know, not extinct <laughs> isn't an explicitly or even implicitly political agenda. I mean, unless your political party is trying to destroy humanity, in which case you might have an argument. But like, it's 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 it, it kind of it's a mission that kind of transcends politics. Um, so the hands on the doomsday clock, therefore, don't really they don't support the idea that this is a political organization because they've moved twenty five times since nineteen forty seven. And they've moved farther away from midnight almost as often as they've moved closer under both Republican and Democratic administrations. The hands are moved based on the threats humanity faces and what we are doing to address those threats. In fact, they moved farthest away from midnight in 1991 when George H.W. Bush's administration signed the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, or START, with the Soviet Union. In fact, Aside from the establishment of the Doomsday Clock itself, this probably stands out as one of the most important moments in the clock's history. Moving the hands to 17 minutes to midnight was the result of several key developments, including the end of the Cold War and the signing of the START Treaty between the United States and the Soviet Union. Not to understate things, but the end of the Cold War marked a major shift in global politics as the long-standing tensions between the two superpowers began to ease. The signing of START marked the first agreement between the United States and the Soviet Union to reduce their nuclear arsenals and was seen as a major step toward reducing the threat of a nuclear war. Both the U.S. and the USSR, and then Russia, agreed to significantly reduce the number of strategic nuclear weapons that they deployed. Even when the USSR broke apart, the four nuclear-capable successor states, Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan, signed the Lisbon Protocol, which made all five nations, including the United States, party to the START agreement. These developments led the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists to move the Doomsday Clock's hands back from 15 minutes to midnight to 17 minutes to midnight, reflecting a reduction in the threat of global catastrophe. Although now in 2023, it is, um, <laughs> well, hmm, Ukraine giving up all of their nuclear arsenal might. We're going to get there. Well, we'll get there, yeah. So, the original design for the Doomsday Clock um, it only showed the last quarter hour of an analog clock face. So it showed the the portion that's between 9 and 12. Uh, so it's just that like quarter of a circle. And therefore, moving the clock hands to 17 minutes to midnight moved the minute hand out of the visible frame on the clock. That was a deliberate choice 
um, because this was seen as such a big deal. It was symbolic of the incredible sense of relief that many felt after enduring 45 years without a nuclear exchange between the United States and the USSR, but constantly feeling like it was going to happen any day now. However, setting the clock to 17 minutes to midnight didn't last. Three (laughs) years later, the clock slowly began ticking towards midnight again. And since 1991, the only year that the hands moved away from midnight was in 2010, when the Obama administration worked with Russia and China to address a couple global threats, with Russia to begin a further reduction in nuclear arsenals and negotiations with Iran, um, and with China to address carbon emissions. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists noted that other challenges, such as consolidating and securing military and civilian nuclear material, um, further reduction of nuclear arsenals, the threat of nuclear terrorism, adopting and fulfilling climate change agreements to reduce carbon dioxide emissions, reducing dependence on coal, and investing in renewable energy, these all needed to be addressed for more significant movement in the hand. Because it only moved a minute. In, in 2010, from five minutes to midnight to six minutes to midnight. Yeah. I just, like, I'm thinking about how quickly, qu- relatively quickly, we went from 17 minutes to 90 seconds. But yeah, unfortunately, I mean, yeah. since 2010, the clock has moved closer and closer to midnight, which brings us to where we are today at 90 seconds. Okay. It's fine. So it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. Everything's definitely fine. So what goes into the time that we see displayed on the clock? Is it just like a gut feeling from these scientists or are they just like counting and dividing? No, not exactly. They consider several major factors, including nuclear weapons, climate change, cyber threats, artificial intelligence, and technological stuff, and then biological threats. So obviously, nuclear weapons have been a major factor in the setting of the Doomsday Clock since its creation in 1947. Remember, the clock was originally established in response to the atomic bombing of, you said Hiroshima, and my brain always pronounces it Hiroshima. <laughs> now I don't know. I actually I don't know, don't which, know right. which one is right. I, my gut tells me it's actually Hiroshima, but I don't know. I know. You... You I know are it's more familiar with the Japanese language than I am. So I would tend to trust that. I am from Minnesota, where we say eggs and bag. Okay. I would not trust my pronunciation on Japanese. I will, uh, I will point out that you just subtly called me a weeb to the entire audience. I and you're did not wrong. Not. I did not. You're more familiar with the pronunciation of Japanese. Listen, yes, yes. you are yes, an yes. international man of mystery, sir. <laughs> okay. The audience has no idea why you might be familiar with the Japanese language. You outed yourself. I mean, yeah, it's because I watch a lot of anime. It's true. Moving on. <laughs> Thank you. The clock, yes, it was it was established in response to, to the dropping of the atomic bombs uh, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Accordingly, the continued development of nuclear weapons has been a primary driver of the clock's time in the decades since. And not just nuclear weapons, but nuclear technology. They do take into account, um, for example, nuclear power 
and its spread and the responsibility with which we use it. Because lest you forget, uh, Japan had a major meltdown within our lifetime. And that was caused by a freak perfect storm and a tsunami and an earthquake. But still, like, nuclear power, as safe as it is compared to coal, and I cannot stress this enough, it is still safer than coal over the lifetime of the product, and coal kills tons of people every year, <laughs> still has issues. Um, so the clock's hands have been set closer to midnight during periods of heightened tensions and conflict between nuclear-armed states. Um, today, the continued possession of nuclear weapons by multiple countries, combined with ongoing tensions and the threat of nuclear terrorism, remains a major factor in the setting of the clock. Okay, so if nuclear destruction is like a bullet to humanity's collective head, then global warming is cancer. Slower, harder to see for most, and every bit as deadly – the accelerating pace of global warming and its potential impacts on the planet, including rising sea levels, increased frequency of natural disasters, the loss of biodiversity, all of those pose a significant threat to human civilization. So the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists has increasingly focused on the threat of climate change in recent years. At times, the clock's hands have been set further from midnight as a result of increasing awareness and action on the issue. Uh, but that's not the case this time. We'll get there. We'll get there. I was trying to throw some positivity. Like, we do address these sometimes, and they do yes. move the hands back. Good for us. Yay. Yay. It, it, it can be done. Um, this one will be very apparent to everybody who's alive and functioning mentally right now. But coming off the heels of COVID, it should be no surprise that biological threats, including pandemics and bioterrorism, play a role in the setting of the doomsday clock. The COVID-19 pandemic highlights the potential impact of infectious diseases on global health and security. I We literally cannot explain it any better. Just think back a year or two, um, mm -hmm. which I can't believe too. Ugh. The rapid spread of COVID-19 coupled with the lack of preparedness and response in many countries underscored the importance of preparedness and resilience and preparation and preparedness and being ready for something and being prepared. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> um, have, have I mentioned that we should be prepared for these sorts of things maybe better than we were, you know, in the, in, in the face of these emerging biological threats? Are you saying, um, are you saying we should like get ready? Like be ready? We should probably be ready. And by that, I clearly mean buy all of the toilet paper, leave nothing <laughs> behind um that that pandemic covid that happened without any human hand guiding its deployment right mm -hmm. there was nobody saying go my covid disease go poison the world <laughs> like it, it was a freaking horrifying did you just say terrible. moisten the world uh, did i i don't know did you <laughs> i don't I think i, I did heard. I, th I think I said poison the world. Poison. That That is much, much <laughs> more relevant. <laughs> the only really thing moistening the world is my humidifier, which is making it very, it looks I, very steamy in here. I was really confused, but I was going with it for a minute. I, <laughs> I love the fact that you're always just ready to ride. Like, just like, let's go. I'm prepared. Uh, she's prepared, folks. 
Um, however, however, bioterrorism, which is the use of biological weapons to cause harm, that does require human thought and, and action, and it is another major concern. The ease of access to information and technology combined with the growing capabilities of malicious actors, um, it creates a significant risk of bioterrorism. And because of these factors, the clock's hand have, hands have been set closer to midnight in response to, you know, the growing threat posed by bioterrorism and the need for greater action to address the issue and the issue of pandemics and being ready and being ready prepared i'm not gonna sing a disney song i was thinking it too don't worry i'm right there with you okay i won't subject all of you to that but just know that it's playing in my heart okay so those factors they feel pretty obvious um honestly but Many people might be surprised to learn that cyber threats are also included in the analysis of how close we are to certain doom. Um, and that's because cyber threats are more than just people trying to steal your dear old granny's credit card information with poorly designed phishing emails. These threats include the potential for cyber attacks on critical infrastructure like gas pipelines and power grids and the spread of disinformation which, I mean, do we really need to provide an example for the dangers that disinformation presents to our society? Our podcast. Hey, hey. Exist. Exactly. The increasing dependence of society on digital technology combined with the growing capabilities of malicious actors creates a really significant risk to global security and stability. So the clock's hands have been set closer to midnight in recent years to reflect the growing threat posed by cyber attacks and the need for greater action to address the issue. And in a similar vein, the development of advanced artificial intelligence technologies has the potential to revolutionize, revolutionize um, many aspects of society, but it also creates new security risks such as the spread of autonomous weapons and the loss of control over AI systems. Which, speaking of AI, we might as well put it in here. Um, here's a fun fact. We're writing this episode with the help of ChatGPT, the AI conversational bot that was produced by OpenAI. Um, it's pretty neat, actually. Yeah. And don't worry, we're still researching yeah. everything. It's We're using it to basically provide a... a skeletal structure uh for this not actually do research yeah no mostly i just wanted to see like if i said okay write a report outline about the doomsday clock what would it give me and it actually gave me a much more thorough outline than what we're giving to you because a we have 45 minutes and two we're not writing like a high school report yeah. but but little bit of anticipation building if you're not a patron you're going to want to be because our entire bonus content this week was written by ChatGPT and it's it's perfection. It's, it's it so really good. is a work of art. It, it's it's incredible. Anyway, <laughs> back to Doomsday. The we bulletin the bulletin considers the potential impact of AI on global security and stability. You're noticing a theme here. Um and will likely adjust the hands accordingly in upcoming updates. Um, I didn't find a specific mention of them using AI to adjust the hands. 
disclaimer, I didn't actually get a chance to read the entire 2023 um, reasoning for why they moved the hands, but I yeah. don't think AI was factored into that one. Yeah, and so I did read that one, and um, it's like it's it is a part, but it is not the cause of the move. It wasn't a significant cause um, for the move. So yeah. And that doesn't really surprise me because AI, as much attention as it's getting right now, it's still developing. Now, that doesn't mean it's not capable by any means, but right, like the first gas internal combustion engines were capable for their time, but they don't hold a candle to the things they can do now. And I feel like that's kind of where we are when it comes to, to AI development is we're, we're seeing its potential. We're seeing where it can take us, but there's a long road ahead to get it fully like as powerful as people fear yeah now that road might be relatively shorter than how long it took the internal combustion engine to develop but right still maybe away. they should ask gpt for an outline on how to get it there it's true <laughs> don't do that oh god if i just involuntarily cause doomsday you've you've started terminator great dolls <sighs> again Here's something fun. A team in China, this is not related to our episode at all, but because we're talking about killer AI, a team in China uh, just made a robot that can transition from a solid state to a liquid state and then reassemble itself into a solid state again. I saw that and I freaked out a little bit. It's pretty cool though. It's it was cool. really cool. As, as someone who um, was a really big fan of the later Michael Crichton books that involved all of the nanotechnology and the creepy sci-fi shit like that. I I got feelings. It was kind of awesome, but also terrifying. Okay, so let's let's talk about why why did the clock move forward, right? This is the first time since 2020, I think, that we've moved. Yeah, the last Um, three years we've been we've been at a hundred seconds to midnight. So we moved 10 seconds closer to midnight. Um, And so in their statement explaining why the timekeepers decided to move the clock forward, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists placed a heavy, heavy emphasis on the current war in Ukraine. Uh, This conflict has called into question security arrangements and agreements that have been in place since the end of World War II. And the way that Russia is handling the conflict is changing the way that sovereign states interact and chipping away at the norms of international conduct that make successful response to global risk possible in the first place. Um, In addition to this diplomatic instability, the statement explains that this conflict kind of combines all of the risk factors, nuclear tensions, impact on climate change, potential biological threats, and the use of disruptive technology within the scope of this one conflict have kind of led to this decision-making process. Um, but the bulletin also noted in its various explanations of each risk factor that there are broader global considerations in each area that add to the concern enough to move those hands. So it's not just the conflict in Russia that's that moved the hands. It's the fact that all of that is going on, plus all of the other global factors combined were enough to move the hands forward. So 
Let's take a look at each area of concern and break down why there's enough mounting pressure, mounting concern, mounting issues to move us closer to doomsday, shall we? Let's start with everyone's favorite candidate for the apocalypse and the leading factor in this current move, nuclear tensions. I think by now we are all far too familiar with the idea of global destruction by means of nuclear war. (laughs) <laughs> from <laughs> that's a the sad but true statement um from the cold war scares and fallout bunkers of the 1960s to the 90s comedies and dystopias that we made about them to the international conflicts uh prosecuted in the name of oversight in the 2000s uh to the video games that take place in the far <laughs> future after nuclear destruction it's true The threat of nuclear conflict is an ever-present undercurrent in our societal dialogue. And Russia's not-so-subtle hints that they've got the nukes and they're not afraid to use them as part of their invasion of Ukraine have brought the concept back to the forefront of many people's minds. In August, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, Guterres, gotta get those R's in there, warned that the world has entered, quote, a time of nuclear danger not seen since the height of the Cold War. Yeah, Uh, Putin's attitude in this conflict goes against almost 30 years of commitments by Moscow. In 1994, Russia joined the United States and the United Kingdom in Budapest to declare that it would respect the independence and sovereignty and the existing borders of Ukraine and refrain from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of Ukraine. (laughs) Here's the kicker, though. Those assurances were made explicitly on the understanding that Ukraine would relinquish its nuclear weapons and sign the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which it did. Now, Russia has, you know, broken that promise and hinted at its willingness to use nuclear weapons to advance or protect its efforts against Ukraine. Who they've also have seen this coming. I know, I'm shocked. Uh, they've also violated international protocols and risked, you know, widespread disaster by bringing armed conflict directly to the Chernobyl and Zaporizhia nuclear reactor sites and not allowing the International Atomic Energy Agency to secure those sites against Catastrophe. Wild. They were digging trenches. Trenches. They were digging trenches in Chernobyl. Guys. And like, if that, um, the soil in and around Chernobyl is still wildly radioactive. And so people were getting radiation poisoning because they were in entrenched positions in toxic soil. Like... If you can't even pet the dogs somewhere, you shouldn't be digging in the soil. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a pretty significant concern that all of the tanks and troops that were rolling through the area were kicking up nuclear radioactive dust and then spreading the radioactive contamination. It's a whole thing, guys. It's not great. It's not great. Also, we should mention that the last remaining nuclear weapons treaty between Russia and the United States, New START... Because there was start one, and then there was start two, but it never took effect, and now there's new start. Anyway, it's in a bit of a precarious position. Uh, The treaty went into effect in February 2011, 
and limits the number of intercontinental range nuclear weapons that Russia and the United States are allowed to deploy at any given time. There's a whole lot of technical jargon and methods for how they count and what it, it yeah. will spare you that. There's just – it's not a one-to-one -one sort of thing and that's pretty much all you really need to care about. But, like, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. Both the U.S. and Russia have met and maintained the central limits of the treaty since 2018, and both agreed to extend the treaty through February 2026. However, comma, the shift in attitude and action from Russia calls continued compliance into question. I mean, at this point, how can we really be sure that they don't just scrap the whole plan, kind of like they just did with Ukraine? Like, it, it kind of, we're at the point where Putin is just like, mm, I do what I want. I do what I want. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. So now, just because Russia is over there showing out does not mean that the rest of the world gets a pass on their bad nuclear behavior this year. Okay. There's more to talk about here. China has undertaken a, quote, considerable expansion of its nuclear capabilities in the last several years, which is particularly troubling given its consistent refusal to consider any sort of outside measures seeking transparency about their nuclear program or oversight or just any sort of predictability about what's going on there. Um, the U.S. Defense Department estimates that China's nuclear arsenal could increase fivefold by 2035, which means they would be standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with the nuclear capabilities of the United States and Russia, which I feel like for those of us kids who grew up in the 80s and 90s, like, that's the thing that we're scared about. Everybody before us was scared about Russia and the Cold War and all of that. We were always told, like, oh, you better watch out. If China ever gets to where Russia and the United States are, everyone's in trouble. So that feels a little more scary to me. Yeah, I can see that. But let me offer you another candidate to be scared of. Iran continues <laughs> to increase its uranium enrichment capacity. Cool. Though it's operating under some international safeguards, it's still outside the confines of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA, uh, that once governed the process. You probably mm. heard a lot about that under the Trump administration and how they just threw it out. Um, this effort positions Iran closer to a nuclear weapons capability should it, should it decide to cross that threshold. Plus, instability in Iran and Tehran's support for Russia's war against Ukraine are highly likely to, we'll say, complicate successful negotiations to keep Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons. Okay, well, we also have to talk about India because India continues to modernize its 160 warhead nuclear arsenal, which like 160 nuclear warheads sounds really big to most people. Having looked at that New START treaty, like it's it's hard to consider that super scary when you consider the volumes that the United States and Russia are allowed to have deployed at any given time. But anyway... Yeah. They, they haven't been a major player, and they are continuing to work toward becoming one by modernizing their nuclear arsenal with new delivery systems. Um, 
that will complement or even replace their existing nuclear-capable aircraft. So to me, that sounds like self-flying nuclear warheads. Um, and then also complement their land-based delivery systems and their sea-based systems. Pakistan also has an arsenal of similar size and continues to expand its warheads, delivery systems, and materials production efforts. So, like, there's a lot going on. Let's not forget North Korea. I don't think I don't know if it was mentioned in the uh, 2023. Actually, not but. explicitly. Like, it was a half a sentence. Mm -hmm. It was like, and also North Korea is not doing good things, but it wasn't yeah. explained in the same way. Well, that's because North Korea's listen, they're a real and legitimate threat. Don't get me wrong. They're currently struggling to be more than a regional threat, but like their rockets are kind of falling into the ocean a lot. But still, they, they are putting a lot of effort into developing they're trying. their trying. And we're not innocent in this one either. The United States is also pursuing pursuing full-fledged nuclear weapons modernization programs, which is, you know, helping set the stage for a dangerous new third nuclear age of competition that's fine cool listen cool. the mascot for this entire episode is that dog that's sitting in the room that's on fire and just saying yes this is fine this is fine yeah that's not nervous making at all okay maybe we move on to an only slightly less alarming factor in the clock shift climate change oh boy cancer time um okay so we've got to go back to the war on Ukraine. Sorry. No, 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 no. The war on Ukraine. I mean, uh, been... not wrong. Yeah, but it's, I feel like I, that's, I feel like that's something that Fox would say, and I don't know why. Um, <laughs> it's the war on Christmas. The war, it's the war on Ukraine. It's the war on Ukraine. We've got to go back to the war in Ukraine to kick this one off too, because why not? This conflict has had a pretty significant effect on global efforts to combat climate change as countries dependent on Russian oil and natural gas have had to diversify their supplies and suppliers, which has led to expanded investment in finding and producing these not-so-climate-friendly resources. Russia is second to the United States in global production of both natural gas and oil. When they invaded Ukraine and the stability and accessibility of their goods became non-existent, it sparked a rush to establish independence from Russian energy supplies, particularly in the European Union. And this has led to larger investments in natural gas production and export infrastructure in the United States, the EU, Africa, a host of other places, largely financed by major oil and gas players, big petroleum. Um, so while public resources for fossil fuel development are waning, thanks to social and scientific pressure, maybe a little common sense, and dare we hope some modicum of self-preservation, private capital continues to flow into the industry and prop it up. Yeah. And then there's the issue of carbon emissions. So at the peak of the pandemic, widespread COVID measures significantly dropped carbon dioxide emissions from burning fossil fuels. We weren't going anywhere. We weren't shipping anything. We were just all staying put. But we weren't making anything. Factories were shut down. That's true. No one was working. We were just all at home Chilling. enjoying the dolphins in the canals of Venice. Uh, but because we are who we are, 
we hit that rebound real hard and emissions have reached a record high in 2022. Cool. Go us. Mm -hmm. This accelerated the ongoing increase of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and all the bad things that come along with, like batshit crazy weather that is directly attributable to climate change. For example, countries in West Africa experienced some of the deadliest floods in their histories due to a rainfall event that was assessed to be 80 times more likely because of climate change. Extreme summer temperatures in Central Europe and in North America and China and other regions of the Northern Hemisphere led to water shortages and soil drought conditions, which caused poor harvests and further threatened food security at a time when the Ukraine conflict has already caused major increases in food prices. Perhaps the most striking demonstration of climate volatility happened in Pakistan, where intense floods caused by a, quote, monsoon on steroids deluged a third of the country. The flooding was described as the worst in the country's history, affecting 33 million people directly and destroying infrastructure, homes, and livestock. The floods also caused a major crop failure and an epidemic of waterborne diseases. You know what's wild is that I even, I forgot about this, and it was a yeah. major event. It was on the news. I remember seeing it and going, holy crap, that's just insane. But it got overtaken by the rest of the shit Everything. happening yeah. at the time. That like I think it, I don't even know if it got a full week in the news cycle. No, I don't feel like it did. Yeah. I Insanity. feel like it got zero follow-up. Yeah, I do too. But uh, wow. Okay. So maybe that wasn't less scary. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, I guess now's as good a time as any to talk about biological threats then. Yeah. Okay, listen, I'm not even going to pretend that this part of the reporting wasn't super creepy to me. Um, as a person who read the book Outbreak at age 10 and was thoroughly convinced that I had Ebola more than once that summer, thanks Robin Cook, um, and then panicked when the first case of Ebola made its way to the U.S., this one's kind of a touchy subject for me. Um <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't know, I just, I just have a whole thing with Ebola for some reason. Um, Apparently. Yeah, it's childhood, man. This is what happens when you read above grade level and no one manages your access to garage sale books. Yeah, but like, you just lived through a pandemic and Ebola is the one that you're like focusing on in this okay way. well that's but i'm not saying you're wrong for that i'm just right I'm surprised well because like at that point especially i mean i was 10 in 1993 so we were like 15 17 years into this major ebola outbreak in africa and no one lived that was the thing like you couldn't survive it until gosh it was probably the early to mid-2000s before you could survive Ebola at all. So if yeah. you got it, you was done. Around here, it's like the brain amoeba that you get from the lakes. But I that wasn't a I thing for me. <laughs> so growing up in yeah. the Great White North. So apparently I was scared of Ebola. Fair enough. Undiagnosed ADHD in children... Just watch. Just watch for signs. 
parents. Don't let if your kid thinks that they have a bullet, there there's a chance that they have ADHD. Anyway, <sighs> the, the reality is that infectious disease outbreaks are on the rise. They just are. But the total number isn't the only thing on the rise. It's also the diversity. So there's, you know, news. I was going to try to like offset it, but I can't because there's no good news there. There's, it's not. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Both the total number and the diversity of infectious disease outbreaks, um, they have increased significantly since 1980. And more than half of those were caused by zoonotic diseases, those that originate in animals and are transmitted to humans. Swine flu, avian flu, bird flu, that sort of thing. Um, H1N1. Um, the COVID. more people there are, the more we encroach on animal habitat, habitats and increase our exposure to diseases we wouldn't ever encounter otherwise. And we're not very good at predicting which ones are going to cause us the most trouble. Yeah. And then there are the lab accidents. And no, we're not going to open that can of worms. But the reality of human error is a major, major factor. I mean, we're out here doing major research on dangerous viruses and bacteria with limited understanding of novel disease characteristics. Often, there's a lack of local government knowledge about the types of research that are actually occurring in the labs in their jurisdictions. And then sometimes there's even confusion about lab safety requirements. It's also easier now than it ever has been to obtain and modify pathogens, which increases the chances of pandemics caused by laboratory accidents. And as we've already mentioned, do not forget the international intentional, excuse me, probably both, bad actors. I'll just read a little quote here. In uh -huh. its 2022 report, adherence to and compliance with arms control, nonproliferation, and disarmament agreements and commitments, the U.S. State Department assessed that Russia maintains an offensive biological weapons program, North Korea has produced biological agents and maintains a program to weaponize them for use in warfare, Iran has not abandoned its intent to conduct research and development of biological agents for offensive uses, and China has engaged in dual-use activities that may be in violation of the Biological Weapons Convention. Yeah. <clears throat> and here's the Russia situation again, right? So one false narrative that Russia is using to justify their invasion of Ukraine is that the U.S. is funding biological weapons research and development there. Uh, this has been repeated by Russian state actors, by Russian media, and, you know, even by podcasters in the United States. <laughs> cool. Because of this pretense, though, and its potential to cause similar retaliation... The risk that Russia will engage in biological warfare increases as conditions in Ukraine become more chaotic. Uh, all right. <laughs> okay. We're almost at the end of this epic choose-your-own-adventure-slash-apocalypse dystopia. <laughs> yeah. There's one more little issue that we would we're going to discuss, and then we promise we're going to be done. We're going to tell you some good news. We're going to do yes. some aftercare, like emotional support here. <laughs> right. Um, but first, let's talk about disruptive technology real quick. 
Okay, I can sum it up real good here. Do it, hit it. The crux of this concern is that humanity has run amok with the internet and technology in general, basically. We don't know what we're doing and we're doing everything wrong. Political, social, health, and every other kind of disinformation abounds and is being leveraged, even weaponized by individuals and governments of all kinds. The Russian government, for example, has taken control of the information ecosystem in that country and has blocked dissemination of truthful information about the Ukraine war. China has adopted widespread use of surveillance technology, causing significant concern for human rights. Very significant concern. There is even trouble in space. Russia has launched an inspector Mm -hmm. satellite that reportedly tailed a high-value U.S. government satellite in its orbit and threatened to use an anti-satellite weapon against U.S. Starlink satellites, arguing that they are not merely a commercial system, but a military one as well. Ukraine has made use of Starlink in its conflict with Russia. Because it's the internet. It's the internet. Um, Yeah. So essentially... This kind of cyber technology concern got layered in there because on top of all the other issues, this might just be too much for us to manage. So, yeah, that's the global state of things in 2023. Yay. No big deal. No big deal. We might have to put an anxiety disclaimer at the top of this episode. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Because if talk of the apocalypse stresses you out, this podcast might just just skip to the good news. Skip to fifty six minutes. Yeah. So I. (laughs) This does sound really bleak. Whenever we kind of cram it all together at the same time, and you gotta imagine that the offices of the bulletin are kind of bleak because this is what they spend their entire day week career you know researching and and thinking about and studying but 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 the good news is that there are people who are paying attention to these things they are trying to make a difference there are people that are actively working to combat these problems i know many of them personally and obviously not the whole team but there are just in the united states alone thousands upon thousands of people dedicated to addressing these pro these these problems and they are not alone there's global efforts to address these issues frankly i am fairly positive that everybody on the planet would feel a lot better if nukes didn't exist at all as far as a weapon goes i would personally that's just me um but i i will say that in reading this report as to why they chose to move the clock there is a lot of good there are a lot of howevers there are a lot of you know balancing especially in the section on on climate change um they talk a lot about kind of the co-occurring factors of the emphasis and investment in renewable energy versus the investment that we're spending on, uh, on fossil fuels. And so like, because the focus of this episode was to talk about why they moved us closer to midnight, we left some of that out, but it's all in the show notes. Like go check out each one of these individual reports. There's actually a lot of good news in there. 
And there's a lot that yeah. we can do and are doing to manage this. I will say there are a lot of links. There are a lot of, of sources in this particular episode. Um, it's nice because there's no lack of information for this right. one. Um, and they are, a lot of them are very compelling reads, a very enlightening Mm -hmm. um, I found myself reading some very interesting articles about things and discussing things that I had never considered. I, uh, and if you're interested in looking for a job, uh, you know, the, um, the bulletin is hiring. Oh, you, uh, yeah. Director of, of, uh, individual gifts, I think is the job title. Oh. Um, it's part time. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a hybrid position though. So, you know, yeah. That's cool. Be remote. Hey, if you but, have a passion for saving the world and you're really good at convincing people to give you money, that job is for you. I'm telling you. I didn't you. even realize what that position meant. I had to look it up. But yeah, yeah you're convincing it's a fundraising people to position. Give, give you money. That's exactly what it is. Um, but yeah, so Bolton's going strong. And um, I, for one, am grateful for their work. I am think that we are better for being aware of these mm -hmm. things because otherwise we'd just be sticking our head in the sands in the sands in the sand um the problems wouldn't go away if they you know if we weren't looking for them they would just exist in darkness and then surprise us when they blew us all up with a <laughs> radioactive virus you know yeah i'm just trying to combine all of them and then it got hot <laughs> <laughs> the end global the end. no and i oh. i mean i it's weird but i am also kind of encouraged by how much this uh this choice to move the clock forward was influenced by the conflict in ukraine because that feels resolvable yeah i thought too i was like well yes we're the closest point we've ever been but it's specifically because or in large part because of this conflict which can be resolved. Yeah. Which means it should move away from midnight, should, in the next, hopefully, year. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean. Fingers crossed. That's my favorite emoji right now. But, yeah. So that, that feels encouraging to me. Um, it's not all doom and gloom. It's no. just some doom and gloom. You want to find more some doom and gloom, though? I've got a website mm -hmm. for you. Contains both doom and gloom and good news because it's, it's our website. <laughs> it's firesidebreakdowns.com. You go there. You can find our show notes. Our show notes have our write-ups of every episode. Our write-ups have our sources in it. So you can check what we wrote and why we wrote it and who said what and decide for yourself if you believe that they're a credible source. Um, you can also find links to our other episodes. Um, you can listen to them all on the website. You can find links to our social media. Um, it finally hit 60% humidity, which is why it shut off. Um, you can find links to all of our social media, um, where we periodically post stuff like we're real people or something. And, um, also most importantly, I think our Patreon, if you think we're worth throwing money at, I promise you we are. Um, you can throw some dollars at us. We can get you, you will get in return exclusive content, 
exclusive access. We're basically monetizing bribery. No, wait, that's what bribery is. We're basically using bribery to fund this bad thing. Uh, and, uh, and you know what? We encourage you to bribe us. Please. Mm-hmm. Please bribe us. Please. Please bribe us. You know who else is going to be bribed in a couple weeks? Oh, don't even start it. NFL officials. The Don't NFL's rigged. It. Hashtag NFL rigged. No, I'm joking. I'm a Chiefs fan. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been seeing so many like memes from the perspective of the Bengals. Yeah. I almost feel bad. I don't. I don't. I, I don't feel bad at yeah. all. I don't. Sorry, not sorry. That's our good news for the week. It the is. Chiefs How made about it to the Chiefs? Super Bowl. How about them Chiefs? Chiefs kingdom. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's not all of our good news, but our good news does have to do with football because, damn it, it's our podcast. And we can write what we want. <laughs> I am I'm hard to handle when I'm watching football. This last game was no exception to the rule. Um, just apologies to anybody who interacts with me while I'm in the middle of a Chiefs game. Apparently, I thought that being a Chiefs fan was going to be less stressful than being a Vikings fan. Nope. No, no, no. No. If they're not trailing at the half in at least 50% of their games in a season, then they're not even trying. (laughs) Yeah. But like I've come to expect, okay, so like I've come to expect that as the pattern, right? Like I'm not even worried until we get to the end of the third quarter. But this game, this Chiefs-Bengals game was a whole hot mess, um, but they won, which means that we are looking at a Chiefs-Eagles Super Bowl. Super exciting. I picked it way back in week eight. I said it's going to be Chiefs-Eagles. Feel really proud about that. Still did not win the work pool, but it's okay. Um, But also... The reason that we are even talking about this is because it is February now. It is Black History Month. Uh, Me and my cool black Rosie the Riveter mug are here to tell you that the Super Bowl is about to get a whole lot blacker this year. I stole that headline from Yahoo News. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Yahoo. Thanks, Yahoo. It was good writing. Um, So this year we will see the first black woman to have a coaching role in a Super Bowl. Assistant sports performance coach Amber Lockwood, who is with the Philadelphia Eagles, will only be the fourth woman to have a coaching role in a Super Bowl. But she will be the first black woman to take the field as a coach with her team when they play the game. And plus also... This will be the first time that two black quarterbacks have ever faced off in a Super Bowl. So Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, both black men, uh, and they will be facing each other in the Super Bowl, which will have a halftime show by Rihanna. Basically, it got real melanated real fast. And we're here for it. I'm supporting. I'm actually shocked that it's the first Super Bowl with two black quarterbacks. I am, too. I actually had to Google it. Yep. But, but I believe the it, more I thought about it, the yeah. more I realized that quarterback has been a traditionally white dude role. Yeah. I As so, soon as I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, man. I really can't think of that many. Yeah, at least the, at least like the star quarterbacks, the ones that get yeah. the attention. Yeah. Um, so 
it'll yeah. be really exciting. Pretty dope. I'm very excited for it. I'm going to stay up too late watching it. Absolutely. Very, very, I'm I'm setting aside. I'm going to be exhausted. I'm getting my <laughs> I'm getting my CrossFit Level One certification that weekend, so I'm going to spend the oh, whole weekend. Oh, that's so fun! Yeah, spend that whole weekend in the gym, and then I'm going to come home, and I'm going to stuff my face with a lot of really unhealthy food. Carb load. And it's going to yes. be awesome. It's going to be amazing. So, um, that said, it's time for us to go to bed. So, yeah, it is. until the next time we speak with you, which might be in two weeks, if the pattern holds, it might be next week if we're feeling particularly we ambitious. We don't know. <laughs> so we can't tell you. But until that point, thank you so much for your tolerance. Thank you so much for your support. Um, we will speak with you as soon as we can. And until that point, take care of each other. <laughs>